Well, open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians chapter 5. While you're turning there, you should be biblically, scholarly enough to know that it's not Romans chapter 8. And that's because we've set aside this month, um, long ago, back in the summer, to look at the issue of biblical stewardship. What has God given us from which he expects a spiritual return? Biblical stewardship. We're going to begin this morning in a place that you might not expect. Ephesians chapter 5, look at verse 15. Paul says, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. This is historically and classically the time when most people kind of circle the wagons around their life and, and put their attention to resolutions, New Year's resolutions, new thinking, new commitments, new values. It's a time that probably more than any other time of the year, people actually think reflectively about life. That's a good thing because you're thinking about life and its values and the goals. But if you want to do a quick evaluation of your priorities, if you want to see what your values were last year, I want to give you a, a very interesting assignment. I want you to go home. If you have a spouse, you can certainly sit with them. Whether you're young or old, look back at your financial statements and your calendar. How did you spend your time and how did you spend your money? And that's the, 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 the issues that go into the equal sign of that's your values. Over the next month, we're gonna direct our attention to this subject of stewardship. Now, I know what most of you are thinking. Okay, here we go. Pastor's gonna talk about money and you're right, but not today. We're gonna to talk about money and giving. Frankly, I wish it were that simple. If it was as simple as just talking about money, I would welcome that opportunity and challenge. But the stewardship that God has given us is so much bigger, so much deeper, so much more broad than just our checkbooks. For the record, I've been here at Mission Road Bible Church for three and a half years and yet to preach on money which will happen in our next study. Uh, I, I don't know, it's, it's just such an awkward thing for, for me, to, for preachers to even talk about money. I just am so annoyed by those things I see on television that I just don't wanna be in that camp, but you can't ignore the scripture that where your treasure is, there your heart is also, right? But that's for next time. That will come later. The stewardship that we're talking about goes well beyond money. Money is just one category of the stewardship that God has given us. Over the next few weeks, we're gonna look at this simple question. What has God entrusted to you that he expects you to be a responsible steward of? What has God entrusted you with from which he expects a return? What has God given you that he expects an accounting for? Now, to begin with, I want to go to a very familiar passage, but I want you to hear it in maybe a different way. Go to Matthew chapter 25. 
You'll know this uh, section very well if you've been around the church for any amount of time. Matthew 25 is the parable of the talents. Now, when we see the parable of the talents, he's not talking about being able to play the violin or the flute. Talent was a measure. It was a weight. It was a unit of weighing coins or weighing um, uh, your money. And in Matthew chapter 25, the Lord gives a, a very interesting parable. It's a story. It's a, it's a story with earthly understanding that illustrates a heavenly truth. Listen to it fresh. Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. It's just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. Got the scene? Man's about to go on a, a journey. He calls his employees, his slaves together, and he entrusts all that he owns to these men. To the one he gave five talents, this weight, this measure of money, to another two and to another one, each according to his own ability, and he went on his journey. Immediately, the one who had received five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But he who received only one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. What a, what a piercing verse. He settled accounts with them. The one who had received five talents came up and bought, brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also, the one who received two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I've gained two more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one who also had received one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid. And I went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master said to him, you wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank and on my arrival I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Throw the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's not important for our study this morning to go into all the details of application with this parable, but I do want you to understand a few things about God. God is obviously the one who has entrusted these talents to the people. God entrusts talents, better said, responsibilities. I think here the primary responsibility is the gospel, but as I said, that's for another study. 
He has entrusted us with responsibilities. He has entrusted us with stewardships. Also, God has expectations about how we live in light of what he has entrusted us with. There are expectations. God is an expecting, expectant God. He expects us to do certain things with what he's entrusted us with. Also, there will be a day of reckoning, a day of accounting with God. If we can generalize this, everything that God has given us, one day he will ask us for an account of what he has entrusted to us. And there are responsibilities and opportunities for us to make much of what God has given us. Well, today I want us to consider, I think, what is the first and the most important of God's gifts to us. Yes, I understand the great gift of the gospel. Yes, I understand the great gift of eternity. But none of that would make sense without this first gift. This first stewardship is your life. He has given you breath and life and a heartbeat. He's given you, he's given me the opportunity to live, to exist. So for our title this morning, we're gonna look at the time of your life. We typically think of that as the party. This, no, no, I'm talking about the time that God has given you of your life, what he has entrusted you with. Ephesians 5 is all about looking at this issue. It's about walking in the light. In other words, living for Jesus Christ as a believer, according to Christ, in the light of Christ. You can begin, if you go back to Ephesians now, if you begin looking at this chapter, it begins with an epic command. It's a command that really you can summarize and be summative of everything that's in the Bible. All the practical application of what God has instructed us could really be summarized in 5.1, chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Just stop right there. If we did that, would we have to apply anything else? If we were imitators of God, wouldn't that settle every decision? Wouldn't that conquer every sin? And then he uses in verse two this, this phrase that you know well, and walk. Walk is the Bible's way of saying live, go through life, exist, travel, be ambulatory spiritually, walk. Walk in love just as Christ also loved you. See the imitation of God in Christ in the next verse? And gave himself up for us as an offering, a sacrifice to God, a fragrant aroma. Then he goes into the moral implications of this. But immorality or any impurity, greed must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. There must, no be, there must be no filthiness, silly talk, coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather the giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person, or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And he says, don't be deceived. You were formerly in darkness, verse eight. Walk in the light. Walk in the truth, verse nine. I love verse 10. Try to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. That ought to be an underlined verse in our Bibles. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Why do we have a quiet time? Why do we have a Bible? Why do we come to church? Why do we interact? Why do we have care groups? Why do we do what we do? We're learning what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't you want to hear what we heard a few minutes ago? Well done, good and faithful slave. 
enter into the joy of your master? Isn't that, isn't that our goal? Then verse 11, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. It's disgraceful to even speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things are visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. Then that great admonition in verse 14. Speaking of Isaiah's words, awake sleeper, arise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. That's all summarized in these next few verses, which really instructs us on how to be stewards of our lives. Now, we're going to do this very quickly. This is very simple, but this should be fodder for you to talk about in your families and with your spouses, with your kids, amongst you as kids. It should be what we talk about in our innermost being of our soul. How in the world can I live as a steward of my life. So what we're gonna do is break this down and look at four ways to faithfully steward your life. God has given you your life. He hasn't given you your wife's life, your husband's life, your children's life. He's given you your life. How can you be a good steward and present that back to him having had invested it and seen a return? This is so simple. I love the simplicity of Paul when he circles the wagon around this issue. First thing he says is live carefully. Live carefully. Look at verse 15. Therefore, be careful how you, it says walk. You could trans, uh, uh, translate that live. Be careful how you live. Be careful how you live. Assumative counsel point for us. Let me ask you, are you careful with how you live your life? <coughs> This demands this attention to be active and not passive. Are you careful how you walk? I think a good way to boil all of this down is to think about our roles and our goals. Everyone's heard about that in about every time management course that you've taken. It's really a good way to break it down. What are our roles and our goals? Roles, who are we? Where has God put us? What has he entrusted us with with our roles? Are you a parent, a son, a daughter, a husband, a wife, Boyfriend, girlfriend, employee, employer, teacher, student, homemaker, discipler, leader, subordinate on your job, on and on and on. What are your roles? What roles has God given you? And God has never given you just one role. You have a role in your family. You have a role at work. You have a role at school. You have a role in your neighborhood. What roles has he called you to be faithful in? What is your role and how can you best fulfill that role for the glory of God? So when you think about your roles, just think about this. You're a husband. How's that going? What kind of husband are you? Are you faithful in that role? What kind of wife are you? Some of you are students. What kind of student are you? Did you know, did you know that how you do your homework is a reflection of your spiritual priorities? Maybe I should say, if you do your homework, is a, is a reflection of your spiritual priorities. How you do them, with what excellence you do them. God, listen, God cares about grades. He cares about grades. Now, I know you say, well, I'm not, I'm not a genius in math. What if I'm only a B student? Well, he cares that it's a B and not a C. In other words, are you fulfilling your roles in a way that's careful, this, Walk carefully, intentionally, reflectively. 
Secondly, what are your goals? What are your goals? If you don't put action plans to your roles with goals, then they will stay grandiose, ethereal, unreachable ideas. I'll never forget the conversation I had with a, with a seminary student. It was one of those um, kind of paradigm-altering moments for me where I really understood something I'd never really seen as clearly as this. Um, we were having a discussion. He was struggling in certain parts of his life. And I said, well, what, what are your roles and goals? We talked about roles for a minute. And then he, I said, what are your goals? He says, you know what? I want, I want one day to go to a church. And when I get there to be a pastor, I want to be the resident expert in God's word. For a pastor, that's a, that's a good goal. I'm, I'm happy that he wants to know God's word. Be, uh, and I said, well, explain to you what, what would that look like? It would mean if the junior hire came up to me and asked me about 2 Samuel 17, I would know exactly what that's about. Or if someone wanted to know what Psalm 90 was about, I'd know what that is. And I said, okay, that's great. So you're a first-year seminary student. What are you doing now to make that a reality then? He said, oh, oh yeah, I'm gonna start that after seminary. I said, you're gonna be four years too late after that. You gotta start now. A verse a day is better than no verse a day. Two is better than one. Ten is better than two. A chapter is better than ten. You can go on and on, right? What are you doing today? You want to be a godly man? Great. What are you doing for that? You want to be a godly woman? How are, are you walking carefully, meaning living with care, with attention? Are you careful how you live? Or do you have a strategy for your life? Do you have goals? Are they written down? What, what, what do you want to do next year at this point in looking back at this year? What are your goals? You've heard it so many times. If you aim at nothing, you will hit it every time. Also know this. This will reflect down into our next two points. If you don't plan your life someone else will. If you're not in control of your time and attention, resources, if you're not stewarding your life, someone else will. Which leads us into number two. It's the second part of verse 15. Live wisely. Not only live carefully with care and attention. Secondly, live wisely. He says, walk carefully, not as unwise men, but as wise. You know, I was a um, college pastor for a decade and a half, and if I could have summarized everything I wanted to say to a collegian, it would be this. Learn how to walk wisely and not unwisely because the default of all of our lives is to walk unwisely. How do you walk unwisely? Back it up by not walking carefully, not living carefully with deliberate intentionality. When you're talking about wisdom, we, I think we discussed this last week when we were looking at the book of Ecclesiastes. There's two categories of Bible instruction. The one is imperatives, do this, don't do that. Very clear, black and white. The other is wisdom. The, the, the imperatives are pretty simple. Do not lie, do not cheat, do not steal, do not commit adultery. Got it. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Not a lot of ambiguity there. 
Wisdom, however, is the application of biblical imperatives, biblical stories, all that God has given us in the narratives, everything that we see about God and man's response to God and applying those principles in categories that don't have a book, chapter, and verse. You know what? Most of our decisions don't have book, chapter, and verse. What do you wear today? There's no book, chapter, and verse for that. Where do you eat? How do you, do you thank the Lord for that? Do you, are you interacting? Who do you marry? Who do you date? Who, where do you go to school? What do you take? What classes do you choose? Where do you sit? What do you, how do you organize your desk at work? Which route do you take to church? Which route do you take home? All of those are decisions outside of biblical imperatives. However, there are biblical imperatives and data which will inform our understanding to help us walk Wisely, I think Paul is saying here, walk as a wise man, not an unwise man, is the same way of saying walk as a believer, not an unbeliever. An unbeliever is, is according to Proverbs, a fool. A fool is always characterized as someone who is driven in his decisions by fears and desires. Pretty interesting, isn't it? An unwise man, an unwise woman is driven to make decisions based on fears, what you're afraid of, you won't have, something won't happen. You won't get something. Or desires, what do you want to happen? Paul says, walk not as an unwise man, man, but as wise. How do you know what is wise? Wisdom is sometimes lived beyond those imperatives. It's being led by the Holy Spirit to decide to do what is best according to biblical principles. And nowhere is that more important than stewarding your life. I mean, are you in control of your life? Now, don't be hyper-spiritual and say, no, only the Lord is in control. I know that. I understand that. But he's called us to be self-controlled, right? Are you in control of your life? Are you making decisions daily that are leading to faithful execution of your roles and faith fulfillment of biblical goals. Are you living wise? Um, the book of Proverbs is given as a, as a really a, a template for, for wisdom. Solomon talking to Rehoboam, telling him how to be a, a good prince and ultimately a good king. Rehoboam didn't listen to much to that. If you look at uh, uh, the, the book of First Kings chapter 12 and following, he didn't honor that very well. But we can are you living wisely or are you living unwisely? Let me ask, are you even thinking about it? I mean, part of this whole passage makes us pause to say, are we even giving attention to these issues? Live wisely. Number three, and this is probably the, at, the, at the apex of what Paul is telling us here, live timely. Live timely. In other words, wise according to how you use your time. Verse 16 says, making the most of the time. It's a definite article. Your time, specifically the time God has given you. Your life is another way of saying that. Making the most of the time of your life because the days are evil. It's amazing how many books and seminars and um, conferences are held about Christian budgeting with respect to money. And those are good and wise and fine. Uh, we're gonna talk about that in the next four weeks in our Sunday school hour. Those are excellent principles. 
Yet money is really not your most valuable possession or commodity. Your most valuable possession is your time. It's your life. You can recover money. You can never recover time. Think about this. The hour and change that you just gave to this worship service, you can never do again. The lunch you're gonna have with your family this afternoon, you have one shot. Tomorrow will only be tomorrow. Time is precious. Once it's gone, you can never recover it. Physicist John Archibald Wheeler says this. This is one of my favorite insights about time. He says, time is what prevents everything from happening at once. That's a great, it's a mathematical evaluation, but that's a great principle. Time is what, keep, what prevents everything from happening at once, which means God has given us time to spread out everything in our lives. It's a way of organizing what's coming at us. And Paul is clear that time is a commodity, a gift which must, which must be managed. Notice that budgeting and expenditure of our time is contextualized here. He says, do this because the days are evil. One of the things that our evil world does most effectively is rob us of time. If the devil can get us to waste time, he wins. Because once it's gone, it's gone. Time is opportunity. Time is evaluation. Time is, is the, the invitation for faithfulness. First Peter chapter 1, verse 17. This is humbling. Listen to what Peter says. It's just almost a, almost a footnote, almost a parenthesis, almost a throwaway phrase. He says, if you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear. Now listen to this. During your stay on the earth. During the time of your stay on the earth. Peter looks at life and says, this is kind of a temporary part of your existence. While you're just here temporarily on this earth, during your stay, your visit, your hotel room called planet earth, on the way to eternity, conduct yourself in fear. What did Moses say in Psalm 90? Teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. See how those work together? We're supposed to present back to God as an investment a wise heart because we used our time to invest it in wise decisions. C.T. Studd, you know this well. It's, it's a refrain in a poem he wrote and at the end of every one of the phrases, there's this little line. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ, what? Will last in other words, are you living wisely according to eternity? Jim Elliot, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. All of these words come to reflect on how are we using our time? What are your values? Let me see your calendar yesterday. Calendar yesterday. And I'll tell you your values. Oh, your, your checkbook will come in, in a little while. 
What, how did you spend your time? If that's God's greatest commodity he's given you, how are we using it? Now, folks, I'm gonna admit to you, I was thinking a lot about this over this last week. I am an expert at not only wasting time, but justifying the wasting of time. Uh, I need to watch 12 hours of football on New Year's Day because I deserve this. I have a hard life. I'm so tired. Now, there may be a day that you should watch a lot of football, and New Year's Day might be one of those days. I'm just concerned about how, how easy it is for me to justify a waste of time. Oh, I just need to do this for a while. Typically, when we waste time, we're telling ourselves we deserve something that we don't deserve, and we're trying to create heaven, this, this side of eternity. So how are you spending your time? As we'll see in the book of Ecclesiastes in our study, that doesn't mean that you have to be out witnessing 24 hours a day. You need to sleep. It doesn't mean that you have to be unfaithful at work so that you can do God's work. No, no. It even includes, the good use of time includes enjoying this planet and the, the things that are intended for us to enjoy, to enjoy for the glory of God. When we get into the center part of our study in Ecclesiastes, you'll see that God has given us, if anyone, let me say it this way, if anyone should enjoy this world and its pleasures, it ought to be a Christian who can do them inside of the covers of his Bible and do them for the glory of God. How's your time? Can I give you a very, very simple encouragement? Have and maintain a calendar with a to-do list. You say, that's profound. I came all the way to church to hear that. Yeah. Have and maintain a calendar that also includes a to-do list. Write it down. I know if it's on your phone or your iPad or your Android or your, your uh, alien device, whatever it is, have some time management tool that will allow you to stay on track. And remember what Spurgeon says. Tomorrow is the devil's day. Right? Man, I got great intentions for tomorrow. Next week. Start things on Monday. First of the month. First of the year. Today is the Lord's day. Tomorrow is the devil's day. And James tells us, you don't even have tomorrow. Why are you worrying about tomorrow? Today has enough trouble of its own, right? Let's focus on today. How are we using our time? Then number four, live circumspectly. Live reflectively, circumspectly. Look at verse 17. So then... Do not be foolish. We just talked about being wise and not unwise. Now, don't be foolish, but how can you not be foolish? You're not foolish by understanding what the will of the Lord is. The only way to live circumspectly is to live according to the will of God. And the only way to do that is by his word. I have grown up hearing so many ideas about finding God's will, as if it's some big mysterious 
hidden from us plan that God has. And if we're, if we're clever enough, we can kind of discover it. It's hide and seek with God. God's will is right in front of you. You're holding God's will. It's his word. Understand what the will of the Lord is. The will means what God wants. Sometimes we look at God's will like, well, it's this plan about where I'm gonna go and what I'm gonna do. and That, that unfolds in God's providential will. But the will of the Lord here, understand what God's intention is, his desire, his will is. What is his will? It's right here in the verse. To not be foolish, to be wise, to redeem our time, to understand how to live circumspectly. Doing the will of the Lord is living according to his word. If you don't know what God's will for your life is, put your nose in the book. I remember a, my youth pastor once telling me, well, he didn't once tell me, he used to tell me over and over, God won't steer a ship that's not moving. You can sit in the harbor and turn that wheel all you want and it's not gonna move. Um, start obeying and see what he does to lead. Now this was Paul instructing us. Can I, uh, can I turn the, the screwdriver with some conviction for you? Man, this is penetrating to me. Turn back over to Acts chapter 20. Because if you're, if you're like me, you wanna say, great, Paul, how did that work out in your life? What did that look like for you? Now this is going to be the, the punch in the stomach and also the great freeing encouragement of our stewardship of our lives. Acts chapter 20, this is Paul. You remember he's traveling down uh, uh, from uh, Asia Minor, stops in Miletus, calls the, calls the Ephesian elders over the 30 miles to the, to the coast, and uh, they have a meeting together. And then he's reflecting about his ministry. He's encouraging them about what, what their faithfulness would look like in their eldership. But look at Acts chapter 20, verse 24. This, is, this could be a life verse for any of us. Paul says this. First of all, he's saying, I'm probably gonna go and be beaten up and die. The Holy Spirit has told me that chains and jail wait ahead of me and ultimately uh, suffering and death. Paul's response, verse 24. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself. So that he has this consideration about his life so that I may finish this is interesting when he says, my course, my course, and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Can I just tell you that most of our lives are defined in opposition to that first phrase? That we consider our lives of major account as dear to ourselves. What can I get? What can I experience? What can I, 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 I? What's the fundamental element of the gospel? You deny yourself and you take up your cross and you follow him. You are happiest when you're emptiest. You're happiest when you're holiest. I don't consider my life of any account as dear to myself. How can you possibly say that? Well, he tells us, 
so that I may finish my course. Understand that. There's that will of God again. I believe, I know he's, Paul's talking about going down to Jerusalem and going up through Rome and suffering. I, I understand that. But I do believe this gives us an indication that God lays out a course for all of us. And the course is defined in the last part of this verse for a believer as being faithful to gospel ministry. We need to be about the gospel. Jesus is not to be a part of our lives, but the point of our lives. Church isn't a place we visit. Church is our our relationships. These are, this is like the registration line, churches, the registration line for for heaven. We're gonna go, you know, like checking into our dorm. We're all in, in line right now. It's called life. We're gonna spend eternity with each other. Paul gives this personal perspective on his life, his course. The best way to understand our stewardship of our time and lives is to measure them against eternity. Remember uh, Martin Luther, this famous um, analogy he gives. Let me read you his words. He says, to God, this world is only a preparation and a scaffolding of yonder world. I don't know if you've seen... Uh, on the news um, uh, lately, all the news give the back, in the backdrop, there's a, a picture of the, of the Capitol building. And right now, it has scaffolding all around it. They're doing a major, I think it's once every uh, few decades, they do this major reworking of the, of the stones up on the Capitol dome. The whole thing is covered in scaffolding. Have you seen that? That's the idea here. To God, this world is only a preparation and a scaffolding for a yonder world. A wealthy builder must have much scaffolding for a house. But when the house is finished, he tears the scaffolding down. An artist must first rub and mix his colors and clean his brush. A barber must first wash his hands and strop his razor. These activities are nothing but preparation. In like manner, Luther says, God has made this whole world as only a preparation for yonder life. There, matters will for the first time really go according to the power and the will of God. End quote. The most important way to be ready for eternity is to give your life to the one who gave it to you to believe and live for his gospel. I want to challenge you just as, a, as kind of an assignment for all of us to, to get aside, to get alone for a little bit of time today, this week. Get a pen and a paper. Organize your budget for your time, your organization for your life, a plan for what you think is important. What roles do you have? What goals do you have? And all of this comes down to that famous principle, right? Life is defined by the principle called the no principle, N-O. Meaning, to be effective, we have to teach ourselves and learn every day to say no to anything and everything that's not the most important thing. In order to be faithful, we're gonna have to say no to things that are going to interrupt our pursuit of the stewardship of our lives and time. 
can't do it unless you're, you can be an organized guy, an organized lady, but it's not gonna matter unless you're doing it for Jesus Christ who died for us, who rose for us, who gives us meaning and purpose. If you're gonna be a good steward of your life, it starts with your life, your time, and the decisions you're making. Father, give us fresh awarenesses of how we should and can spend our time to be aggressive about not wasting it, to be passionate about being wise and not unwise, to live circumspectly, reflectively, intentionally, deliberately, on purpose. We're aware. Holy Father, we are aware in this moment that one day there will be an accounting of the life that you've given us to live. Forgive us for seasons and actions of unfaithfulness. We're so grateful, Lord. We're so grateful for grace that in this moment gives us a fresh, clean start. It's not the new year that does that. It's your gracious disposition. So cause us to count and number our days so that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen.